What's in the bag? A shark or something? Put the bunny back in the box. This is Two Guys, Five Movies. This is one of your co-hosts, Chris Gasperi. This is Frank Pelican. You're listening to The Quick Cage, episode number 42. Frank, which movie are you going to talk about tonight? So tonight we're going to discuss the 93 neo-noir thriller, uh, Red Rock West, hmm. um, helmed by John Dahl, uh, starring uh, Cage, Clara Flynn Boyle, J.T. Walsh, and Dennis Hopper. Um Pretty, pretty great uh, neo-noir movie. Um, Cage plays a ex-Marine who was injured in combat, um, who's kind of sort of a drifter, but really he's just lured out to, um, where the hell is it? Montana or someplace? Wyoming is where Wyoming, uh, under the pretense of working on a... Um, an oil rig or like a oil drilling operation, but his honesty um, kind of prevents him from doing that because he admits that he was injured. Um, so as he drifts his way back south to Texas, he stops off in the small town of uh, Red Rock. Um, and in Red Rock gets mistaken for a assassin named Lyle from Texas um, because of his Texas license plates by J.T. Walsh who's the corrupt sheriff of the town. Um, Walsh wants him to murder his wife, played by Lara Flynn Boyle. Uh, Nicholas Cage can't do it, um, but takes the money anyway when he goes to tell the wife about the murder plot. The wife offers him double the money to basically murder J.T. Walsh. So Cage takes her money and is basically going to leave both of them um, after writing a letter to the low, he doesn't know that J.T. Walsh is the sheriff. I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, but then it all kind of unravels because he runs into a man on the road and when he takes the man to the hospital, it turns out the man had bullets in him. Um, and then it turns out that J.T. Walsh is the sheriff. And so Cage has to kind of escape. And uh, there's some cat and mouse stuff. And um, Dennis Hopper, who plays Lyle from Texas, the actual killer, finally shows up and it's a uh, Hopper and Walsh kind of tracking them and then them all against each other. And um, finally, in the end, you know, Cage sort of rides the rails off into the sunset uh, with a little more money in his pocket, but like, you know, kind of worse for the wear. Um, it's a really good movie, really great performances by pretty much everybody in it. Um, I'm not the biggest Lars Lynn Boyle fan. Um, Who is? <clears throat> So there's kind of some some heavy suspension of disbelief that has to go into the idea that she's the person that's like okay, I don't know about heavy, but still, like I get it's your heavy point. enough for me. <laughs> she, she's cold and she's not very interesting, and I don't. There's just nothing appealing about her. I hate her haircut in this movie. Like I like long haired Laura Flynn Boyle much more than I don't know sideshow Bob hair Laura Flynn Boyle. Um, uh, that's mean. Okay. 
It's true though. She looks like a freaking um cotton candy stick or something. It is a very early nineties. Right, woman in power haircut. Yeah, doesn't it doesn't work right? Right, right. With her severe features. (laughs) Um. And she's just not very engaging. Like, there's nothing... She's, well, she's never very engaging, honestly, a lot of times in the things she's in. Like, I don't think she's a great actress. She's supposed to come off as seductive and right. wild and daring, and she's just kind of boring, I guess? I don't know. Yeah, I agree. But it doesn't matter, because Walsh and Hopper and Cage are all fantastic in the movie. Um, yes. Carry the entire film. Um... Dahl, who will go on to, in my opinion, direct his better neo-noir in uh, Last Seduction uh, a year later, um, does a really good job of building suspense in this movie and kind of framing it in sort of like half-Western, half-like early 90s action film with a bit of like traditional like noir elements thrown in. Um, but it really feels expansive and open a lot of the times and you kind of feel the loneliness of you know like the west and mm-hmm. whatever like these pretty much uninhabited stretches of the american landscape um it's got some really good dialogue in it it's a really restrained performance from cage for the most part mm-hmm. um really good morality tale too and the idea that here's a man who's committed to not lying and not like getting over on people and the one time that he kind of falls into taking the easy way out like it completely f's him and he's just stuck like paying for his sins of kind of like you know duping these two murderous spouses who you find out later and i this is like a real 90s plot point because there's no way this could happen in the modern world but that they were two other people who defrauded um a mill or something like that mm-hmm. and escaped with like all the money like Walsh was the accountant and then changed his identity and became sheriff of this town um, so that's kind of an unbelievable circumstance um, Hopper's probably my favorite performance in the whole movie like I love his um, really kind of like manic almost like a hair less crazy than like than Frank, Frank from yep. Blue Velvet. Yep. Um not nearly as like maniacal, but still has that element of um sort of like borderline psychosis mm-hmm. going on. Um yep. but very engaging and pretty funny and you know genuinely seems like a decent guy at times until he's trying to murder. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean there's a strong element of a black comedy underneath a lot of a lot of this, which yeah. yeah. The scene of Cage escaping from the roof of the bar on a two-by-four, like, walking like a tightrope to the roof of, shit, who is that? Like, Dwight Yoakam, I think, mm-hmm. plays the driver. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, it's just, it's 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 hilarious, and yeah. I don't, there's some really good stuff in it, but yeah. it's, it's just, it's a really good movie. Um, mm-hmm. Really critically well-received at the time, um, although it was sort of a like a cult hit in that respect and then ineligible for any um you know awards or anything because it was released directly to hbo um which was a fate that 
less seduction suffered as well, which is crazy considering yeah, like how much cachet Doll had built after this movie. Um, well, yeah, I read about a little bit about this the other day. The the situation was that it was going to be directed the video and it sold the HBO first and aired, and then it got a theatrical release because of the reception to it. Correct? Is that, right. is that your understanding? Yeah. Um, I think it played. It played a handful of times on HBO in the summer of 93 Mm -hmm. and then got released in theaters um, after generating uh, plus it had some theatrical buzz because it was released in like one theater I think and people yeah in San Francisco and then like it ended up expanding in San Francisco and then went to bigger cities I think is what I read and um yeah I um I actually had this on VHS like taped off of HBO Mm -hmm. uh when it early on when it aired um so I can say I was an early adopter of John Dahl, but um, really, really enjoyed the movie. It was really a lot of fun to watch again this time. Um, and again, probably one of Cage's better performances around this time. Agreed. Um, definitely one of the best performances leading into what he would go on to do for the rest of the 90s. Um, I guess Dahl's done a bunch of TV in the interim. Yes. Like a ton of TV. Although he did do uh, Rounders, which is a really good movie. Mm-hmm. Joyride, which is not a good movie. Yeah, I, I saw this. Yeah, he's done tons of television. I was looking him up uh, the other day. But <clears throat> yeah, I saw, I, I rented this on a like a, a fluke, like from Video King back in the 90s. Like I had... <sighs> Why would I have rented this? It, I probably would have rented it in '94. It was probably after. It was probably like late '94. Um, I was into the crime genre because of Tarantino. I saw it on the shelf. I liked Nick Cage from Raising Arizona, so I probably rented it, and I really liked it back then. Um, and then knowing that you were going to do this, I'd been promising on the podcast I'd watch it again because I remember really liking it. And yeah, I thought it held up uh, really well. Um, and I think it is kind of the only other thing I would add, like, you know, because I agree with everything you said. Um, the only thing I would add is I, I don't think even in 93 or 92 or something like that, it would have been like that unrealistic about that couple being able to kind of. No, that's what I mean. I don't think it'd be realistic today. Oh, okay. I thought you meant that's what I'm saying. Method. I'm okay, saying gotcha. that like this is yes. definitely a plot point that's firmly places it in its time. Yeah, it's like one of those things that would be possible, but it would be bizarre. Like you know that it that it happened. Um, where I think it was yeah much more possible back when we were young. Um, right. That person would certainly not go on to become the sheriff of the town today. I mean, right. Maybe they could yes, like, get correct. away and live in correct. some measure yeah. of anonymity. Yeah, they could like run a small business today, maybe, and get away with it, but it would still be rare. Um, Which is also funny that why does he want to be sheriff? Like he's already rich, you know. Just, I mean, isn't the idea to kind of like um, know what's going on and insulate yourself? Yeah, I suppose so. And it's such a small town; you're not going to have a bunch of like you know necessarily like, um, you know. Because you know how, I mean, you've read about people in, like, small towns with being, like, law enforcement. It's like, you know, when you don't have that many people, it's like you can keep tabs on everything that's going on. And Yeah, you know, that's true. Um, if there's a request that comes in, he can do something with it. I mean, so I'm assuming that's why, like, he's trying to 
Cocktail and the wife. Makes sense. Um, they don't really do a good job of like explaining that whatsoever, but that's what I assumed. But yeah, I, I think this was part of like the whole, for at least for me, the whole was part of the whole Tarantino thing, like around that time period that really made me get into crime stuff. Um, even though I don't think of this movie as something like that, this was certainly like a part of like that whole uh, scene, like the, the genre stuff that I was watching around that time that really made me got in, get into noir um, in a lot of ways. Sure. Yeah, and it was um, it was definitely part of that noir reboot um, from around this time, like beyond just. Because I don't know that you necessarily can consider Pulp Fiction to be. I mean, I guess it's kind of noirish, but oh, it definitely like has elements. I mean, hyper hyper noir. Right. Um, yes. But Reservoir Dogs is noirish and has mm-hmm. like a lot more noir elements, I think. And um, there's a bunch of other stuff from around this time too. It's escaping me for some reason. Like bad things like um, Two Days in the Valley and oh things right, that, yeah, all those things that tried to steal and off Tarantino killing kind of. killing Zoe. Yeah. Um, but then Heat around this time, Heat's a really good, like, right. yep. noirish heist movie and mm-hmm. one of the best heist movies ever. Sure. Um, and this is sort it of. Was like, on, it was on your yeah. list, yeah. Yeah. To your point, this is like sort of the kickstart of that. This and Last Seduction. Right. You had Cages and then Last Seduction because I really want to watch that again and talk about mm-hmm. it. But. <laughs> um, I'm sure there's ways to, if. You, if Depends on how much you like that movie. I mean, there, there's, there's, there's there, well, there's things upcoming next year that will allow you to do that. I mean, um, so, um, yeah, it's good. And interestingly enough, you know what episode 42 of the, of the main like podcast is? What is it? It's the Tarantino retrospective. Oh, it all blends together, maybe comes together. Sorry. Right. Well, 42 is the, what answer to number of the beast <laughs> i say what is it the life universe and everything or, but right. yeah. <clears throat> um but it could be it could be uh i guess tarantino is the beast in this in this scenario then. <laughs> maybe or john doll <laughs> um solid nick cage performance i would say an eight out of ten on like a real scale yeah um the movie itself is uh, eight, eight or nine out of ten. Like it's a, it's a solid, like mm-hmm. B plus, A minus movie. Yep. Um, there's some stuff with the film stock, like the way it's filmed, that's a little too nineties for me. Um, like it definitely feels like a lot of it was filmed on a soundstage, especially the, um, the cemetery fight in the end. Like does mm-hmm. not feel like it was actually filmed. Agreed. Yeah, in I can, a real I, cemetery. I, and, I see what you mean. Yeah. Um. Like the scene where where Nick Cage runs over the um the guy on the road that turns out to be Laura Flynn Boyle's former uh, paramour, um reminds me of a scene from like Creep Show or Tales from the Dark Side or something. But mm-hmm. um otherwise it's 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 a well well filmed movie. It looks good. Yeah, I, I thought the only time like Cage ever broke into like a like wacky Cage was there was like one scene where he starts yelling. But I thought even then, because it reminded me so much of what we like think about the the meme version of Nick Cage. Um, but even then, it made sense. Like it was just a guy like at the end of his rope and just needed to yell. I think, um, and that's the only hint of like that version of Nick Cage. Like this is a really 
I think, yeah, nuanced and, um, you know, low-key performance um, yeah. by him. And they might be one of the best performances I've ever seen of him, come to think of it. Yeah, it's definitely kind of um, – it's funny because it's easy to forget about this Nick Cage, I think, mm-hmm. like just in the interim shit, almost 30 years uh, since this movie came out, like to see, um, you know, his changes and the way that he sort of embraced kind of the wackiness of being a caricature as opposed to like playing a character. Um, but there's a lot of uh, humility and sadness in this guy and um, determination and, you know, it's just kind of, it's, it's, it's a really nuanced performance in a lot of ways. And, yeah. um, definitely one that's worth, you know, like watching as a retrospect on like what good acting is or, you know, looking back and seeing like what Nick Cage is capable of. Right. Although I think he's moved more towards back towards that in some of his movies. Sometimes I don't know. I, I I think it has to be the right director and the right screenplay. Right. Even that one that I thought was terrible, and I can't remember what it was called. Um, the one with him and Fishburne, where they were both playing like um, drug dealers. Right. Um, his performance in that is really like very subtle and very controlled, and it's it's an interesting performance. It's just not a very good movie. Right. Yeah. So. Last tidbit I'll give you. I looked this up on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, if you don't count uh, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, where he's like one of like many actors and it's voice work, yeah, uh, this is his highest rated Rotten Tomatoes movie. Really? By critics, at least. Yeah. That's surprising because I would have assumed like adaptation would be there. Um, probably adaptation would have been my guess. That's got to be like a ninety-two or ninety-three percent adaptation. Uh, 91. That feels low. I wonder if you didn't like it. We'll uh, get there. We'll talk about it. Right, yeah, well, yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah so we'll I do want to talk about some... one thing real quick, because I don't know if I'll remember on Sunday. Okay. Which is a real shitty thing to say, considering, but I want to talk a little bit about um, uh, Hugh uh, Burn Keys, I guess to say you say his name. I don't know. Who are you talking about? He is the Hugh, Hugh Keys Byrne. He was um, Toe Cutter in Mad Max and Immortan Joe in Fury Road. Um, he passed away today. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, okay. That's a shame. I'm just looking now. Um, I didn't really know him much else. I looked up his uh, filmography after I saw the new pass. Mm-hmm. Um, Mad Dog Morgan, which I've seen, but a lot of stuff is... Uh, he was in a lot of shit that was like filmed in Australia. Mm-hmm. Um and stuff that I don't know was necessarily like wide release over here. But I think he's definitely the linchpin to Mad Max. Um in the sense that I think his performance is probably the best performance of the movie. Um, at least it's one of my favorite, uh one of the most to me most iconic villains of um the late 70s, early 80s, and especially in that genre, just kind of like sort of setting this the tone for what this like sardonic kind of like half philosophical but also like completely cold-blooded killer could be um and then as a redo of with similar characters and Morton Joe and Fury Road you know again another visually iconic performance and just a really great um 
like classic iconic villain. So rest in peace to him. Yeah, no, that's 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 a shame. How old was he? Seventy something. Seventy three. Okay. Yeah. Which I would have thought he was older. Right. He feels he feels old in Mad Max. Like Toe Cutter feels like a guy. Sure. Like already in his fifties. Um, right. I I love that performance. I think that's some of the best. I know that right. you and I like divergent on that movie in some ways, but like I think that like just the way he delivers his lines, like the um fucking uh what is it? This is a. Uh, what is the line? It's like this is a moment of transference, Bubba. You have to step through, or something like that. It's yeah, all John. Yeah, 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 I remember which. No, about. it's 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 this is a threshold moment, Johnny. Step through. It's yeah. just so good. Yeah. No, I mean I. Yeah, I mean, and we'll get into the Mad Max conversation someday, uh, I guess. But it's like I, I like the other two. I mean, I. I like Road Warrior a lot, um, and I love Fury Road, um, and I even like Thunderdome to some like weird in in a, in a weird way, you know. Um, it, it's just rewatching Mad Max, man. I couldn't take it. <laughs> Maybe it's just yeah, I don't know. It's like, just something I, so I, cheap. There's something so cheap about it. Like I don't know. Like I just can't take it. And I think that's probably maybe why I like it the most. And mm-hmm. I would argue the Fury Road is my favorite of the Mad Max series. Yeah, but Mad Max is a close second, and I I I love like the almost like home movie look it has sometimes, where it feels like I don't know, it's almost like cinema verite, even though it's not filmed in that style. Just in the fact that like it looks, yeah, I can see it. It looks like the end of civilization, I guess, like the way the cars look and the way the houses and the police station and just the way they dress, like everything feels like it's the end of something. And I love the like little internal mythology that's built like with the night rider and the toe cutter and mm-hmm. yeah. And you get your skag. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. Not a not a not an actor, but I mean we I saw you texting about it earlier and I had read about it earlier about um pro wrestling like legend like Pat Patterson died too. Yeah. Um, awesome little, yeah, it is. I mean, um, that man is responsible for a lot of great things we know in professional wrestling, like, you know, that have become commonplace, like the Royal Rumble and the Survivor Series concept and like so many other things that are like popular, like yeah. from the 80s and 90s, um, you know, and, um, you know, booked a lot of those early Royal Rumbles involving Hogan and stuff like that. And, you know, a lot of the ones in the 90s involving Austin, like plotted all those out, like booked them, you know, like some of like the best like Royal Rumbles in history. Um, and it's a very accomplished wrestler in his own right, um, you know, just before my time. So I don't know him as well. Um, problem, you know, some problematic stuff with the guy, um, you know, accusations and such, which are not pleasant. But, um, but um, as a wrestling mind, I mean, he was, um, you know, very notable. It seems like a lot of the younger people that are part of the the show now have a lot of respect for him, at least. Sure. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people have a lot of respect for him. I mean, and that's just part of, like, every industry, whether we're talking about movies or something like that. I mean, 
there's a lot of people everybody has a lot of respect for that has allegations in their past of like really bad behavior and um that's just something that we have to like you know move past at some point in the sense of um like not like i don't know i guess like having some kind of cognitive dissonance of like you know not allowing that behavior to happen and but still you can acknowledge at some point um what their contributions were and i guess that's what i'm trying to do is that like he has a lot of bad shit in his past but he had a great mind at the same time like but yeah um yeah wwe was really shitty and released him like four months ago during covid um so good on them good job wwe yeah, i read the um i didn't realize they had released uh What's his name? The guy that was the longtime referee for them. Um, yep. Yep. Mike. Mike. Mike Ch- Chioda. Yep. They did. Um, I didn't realize he had been released either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I figure that with these people that were like longtime like workers, like thirty plus years, they could have found something. You'd think, you know, but who knows? Uh, Tony Khan gave him a job, gave him payday for a couple times, like on AEW. Yeah. Yeah, uh, man, I don't want to spoil anything for you. Nope, don't spoil anything for me. Yeah, I got a big spoiler. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna watch that later tonight. We'll talk about it tomorrow, I guess. Right. Winter is coming. Sorry, winter is. (laughs) Sorry, come for some people. All the shit outside, it feels like it's. It doesn't. And, And of all years, this year. This is the year that it has to, like, by, like, you know, like, early December, it's, like, feels like winter, kind of, like, ugh. There were flurries this morning, apparently. Yeah, there were, there was, late last night, there were some, like, when I was out back in the mudroom smoking. Because I didn't believe my uh, app, like, was telling me that there were snow showers, um, and it was just flurries, but, yeah. Yep. So awesome. All right, so cool. All right. So, yeah, Red Rock West, good movie. Um, another positive review. I'll have to count them up at some point and see how many have been positive and how many have been middling and how many have been negative at some point. Maybe I'll do that around 50 and I'll, I'll take stock of, like, where you're at because you'll be about, what, halfway through at that point probably. Well, it'll be close to it. I mean, there's some animated stuff we can do all in one episode, I think. Right, and then there's, like, minor performances from early in his career or, like, later in his career, like, where it's just cameos and shit like that that you can probably... Yeah. Do like all like um like I really enjoy Into the Spider Verse, but I don't I didn't even know that Nick Cage was a voice in that when I saw it. So right, I don't even know how much like that really counts towards. Although his performance is good in it as a voice actor, mm-hmm. but it's unrecognizable as him. I yeah. think you know. Gotcha. So that's right. a really good movie. Cool. Yeah. Well, we we got plenty of time. <laughs> right. In so many ways, we got plenty of time. You have to choose the guy that has like 120 movies. Like it's so long. It's gonna be so long, Frank. We're like we're gonna be here. Yeah, you know, you know why it happened. I do. Yeah. I My do. kid was in college. I had nothing to do. I was sitting here doing nothing, and I was like, "Oh, well, let's watch this movie." And then, right then, COVID are. then COVID happened, and we're you know watching the Cage movie. Well, here we are, almost year, a year later. Right. Yeah. It's true. Like we're not that far away. Um, I um, yeah. The 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 quick cage year anniversary will be very close to the 
100th episode of the main podcast anniversary, probably. What episode of Quick Cage is this? 44? Actually, they will fall around the same time now that I think about it. Because this is... No, this is 42. Um, so we have eight more episodes to go to get to 50. 52, 10 more episodes. So that'll be mid-February. So that's going to actually fall right at the same time as the 100th episode. We will be doing Why do we year. wait so long to do the Quick Cage? Why do we wait so long to do the Quick Cage? Did we sit on it for a couple of months? Or did I really not think about it until the no. winter last year? Yeah, you didn't think about it until the winter. I think you like floated the idea in like late January. I don't know if I remember. Well, that. I know that I, I remember the day that I thought of it was I watched um Knowing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my God, like I should watch every because I looked up his filmography at that point. And I was like, holy shit, there's so much. And I was like, you know what? I should watch every one of these movies. Okay, right. So think- Fe- February 4th is the quick, first quick cage. And it's snowing. Um, so, yeah, like I was right. Yeah, I was right. Like late January, you came up with the idea and we just did it. Yeah. Huh. So. Oh. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's the history. Yeah. Um, it's good history. Oh, I just do. Last thing I want to mention. Old Denzel movie. Deja Vu. That movie fucking sucks. It's a terrible movie. If you've never seen that movie, don't don't let Amazon trick you into watching that movie. It's, it's better it's than The Sum of All Fears. I, I don't know that, actually, because I didn't watch The Sum of All Fears. I, I know, just watched I saved, Deja I, Vu. I saved you from that. Did you watch The Sum of All Fears? I have seen both of those movies, yes. Oh, okay. Hmm. Some of All Fears is the Ben Affleck one, right? Yeah. The, oh, yeah. Affleck... John or um, yeah, John Jack Ryan. Yeah. Okay. I feel like I feel like you watched the better film. I don't know. Oh, that may very well be. It just still was not a very good movie. Um, Denzel was fine in it, but it was a bad movie. Bad movie. So, yeah, that made me upset. The longer I thought about how I like wasted my time watching that movie today, so fuck that movie. Um, out of time though, I liked. Um, I also watched that during COVID, and I also watched Unstoppable during COVID. I've watched a lot of a lot of Denzels come up on Prime in the past like six months. It seems um, a lot of Denzel movies, and I've watched most of them. Um, I just thought of another Thirty Rock joke when we were talking about before the podcast started. Um, that would probably be considered like insensitive. Um, but yeah. Okay. Um, this week, main podcast, top movies of 1980. Uh, got a slightly like bigger bump off of the top movies of 1970 so far already, from what I can tell. Um, so yeah, Frank's going to go ahead and talk about the top movies of 1980. And then the week after that will be the top five movies in 1990. And then finally we will end December, um, with the top movies of 2000. Um, so be sure to check those out. And otherwise, thank you very much for listening to quick cage 42 and have a good night. Yep. Have a good night.